Hey there, this is Steve Lee with Veritas Catholic Network. The month of September is dedicated to the seven sorrows of Mary. This is a devotion of the church that dates back to the 12th century, and the Feast of the Seven Sorrows is on September 15th. Bishop Frank is going to teach us about this devotion on today's episode of Let Me Be Frank. Before we get into it, let me tell you quickly about the St. Joseph Society. If you can give $500 a year or more to Veritas Catholic Network, that's just $41 a month, then you can be a vital part of the Veritas family and help keep Catholic Radio going strong here in New York and Connecticut. Veritas is here to help you strengthen your faith, to strengthen your family and your neighbors. And as Mother Angelica used to say, this station is brought to you by you. So it's your station and we need your help to keep this important mission going. Join the family. Join the St. Joseph Society. Go to www.veritascatholic.com for more details. All right, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank. I am so happy to introduce His Excellency, Bishop Frank Caggiano. Steve, how are you, my friend? Doing great, Excellency, thank you. Good, good. Uh, and you're as busy as ever, so. <laughs> yeah, I mean, with school now looming, yeah, very much so. Right. <laughs> Yeah, but that's hey, good. That's good. I wanted to mention, Bishop Frank, uh, before we get into it, um, just that tomorrow is my twentieth wedding anniversary with my beautiful wife Rula. It's so, our congratulations. Yeah, thank you. September third, two thousand, we were married. So. Oh my gosh! Look at that! Isn't that great? It's crazy. Twenty how time years. Flies. Yeah. <laughs> now, seriously, we should make a show just on that. Really, <laughs> the twenty years. Yeah, surprises. Yeah, challenges. Right. It's it's true. It's um, it's it's more work than I thought, but it's also much more wonderful than I could have imagined. Oh yeah, the more you invest, the more yeah, the more you reap. Absolutely, without a doubt. How many children do you have? Three, three. So they are ages? Um, eighteen, fourteen, and eleven. So, now, that's interesting. So there's seven years between the oldest and youngest. Yes. Yep. So they get along, I wonder? Uh, you know, I think probably as well as, you know, most siblings do. Be careful. Do. This is being recorded. Be careful. Yeah, yeah. We're all still alive. I'll, I'll put it that way. <laughs> oh. Oh. So um, anyway, I just wanted to, to shout that out to, to Rula, so... Yeah, um, we'll get uh, Rula. Uh, I'm sure you're listening. So congratulations to you. You have my prayers, my admiration, and my prayers. Yeah, it's 20 <laughs> years off of uh, purgatory for her. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so anyway, we are uh, kicking off September, which mm -hmm. is hard to believe it's already here. Um, mm -hmm. But September in the Catholic liturgical calendar is the month of the seven sorrows of Mary. Mm -hmm. So... Um, you know, if we could dedicate the, today's show and if we could start off by, you know, telling us, Excellency, why do we observe the seven sorrows? Oh, my gosh. Uh, 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 many, many reasons. So in order to, 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 it's like peeling away an onion or looking at a diamond from different perspectives. It shows its beauty in different ways. When you speak about Our Lady of Sorrows and what, um, what Our Lady can teach us as disciples, 
Um, let's start from the basic premise that everything we say about Mary, everything we learn about Mary, and all of the spiritual life rooted in Mary is meant to illustrate and point us to the Lord Jesus. So in the contemporary calendar, Our Lady of Sorrows is the 15th of September following the triumph of the cross, which is the day mm. before, the day in which we, re we remember St. Helena, the mother of Constantine, bringing the true cross right, to Rome. Yes. And so therefore, in the mystery of Mary's life, which was wrapped up in the greater mystery of her son's life, part of the reason we honor Our Lady of Sorrows is precisely because Jesus teaches us that every disciple will necessarily follow in his footsteps and give or lose his life. That suffering is an integral part of the, every disciple's life. And Mary's life, because she is the perfect disciple. Right? Yes. So then we look at Our Lady and we learn life lessons about how to suffer well. So that's part of it. It's also, I think, very much illustrative of the unique role Mary had in redemption, not simply as the bearer of the, of the Savior and Redeemer into the world in his human life, but the mystery at his death is passion and death. So, Our Lady of Sorrows, we speak of the seven sorrows, we'll talk about that lady later, but four of the seven are wrapped up with the passion. They're intimately connected with those events that occurred. Right. That saved us. Right? So now, we have to remember the relationship Mary had with her son. She was his mother. And just like any mother who is going to try to be protective and nurturing of children. To see your son, in this case your son, but any child, but in this case the Lord, suffering, maltreated, beaten, um, tortured, crucified, um, and remain faithful. One must ask, how could that be? How, would I be able to do that? Mm -hmm. And chances are, if I'm brutally honest, and I'm always going to be, um, I'm not sure how I would answer that question without myself railing or trying to, I'd probably get myself stabbed by the soldier. <laughs> yeah. right. right. But she didn't. So there's an element almost of an icon of Mary at the foot of the cross. What is it that allowed her to stay there? Focused, faithful, persevering, and not responding to violence with like violence. What were the qualities she had that we then for need? Mm -hmm. okay. And one of them clearly is an unyielding trust in God. That at this moment, what I see is revolting every part of my human life and yet I must continue to hold firm that this loving God whom I've thrown my life into 
who has asked me to be this unique mother, will even in my eyes, if I do not see it at this moment, will not abandon all that is good. And that trust takes a lifetime to develop. So I think there is a, a discipleship lesson of why we honor Our Lady of Sorrows. Yeah. Right? And then the other piece to this puzzle, if I may, before we get to more of the specifics, is one of the titles of Our Lady of Sorrows, the more ancient title, is Our Lady of Compassion. Right? So compassion is to suffer with someone, which is an interesting insight for a disciple. Because sometimes what we do, even unbeknownst to us, is when we raise this question of having to sorrow, suffer for one's faith. Usually we begin with the price I pay in my own life. So how I suffer. And one gains consolation by saying, okay, well, I'm going to suffer because I trust in God. And in the end, God will not let me down. So in the end, I will stand in victory and glory. It's all about me. Not intending it to be that, but that's our starting point. But in fact, right. compassion says, I am suffering with you. And in discipleship, it's a key piece that I don't only just endure suffering, but I choose to mm. suffer for you. Yes. And to stand with you in suffering, which Our Lady did. Yeah. Hmm? And a classic example is that we have mentioned before, I don't remember now, but in the visitation is a classic example, classic in Our Lady's life. With Elizabeth, who basically went into hiding as an older woman, Mary had compassion, went to suffer with her. She who could have, on some level, expected that she would have given birth and not survived in the process as an elderly woman. So, just on that level, this is, very, and given everything we're going through and all the sorrows and sufferings we see in our life, those we have endured personally, those that others around us have endured, most especially in these months of pandemic, Our Lady of Sorrows speaks very, very deeply, at least to me, very deeply. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, it's, it's so hard to trust uh, when you're suffering that this is uh, what God wants, and it's hard to... It's hard to suffer with, you know, the first reaction, even I can look at how I, I teach my, my kids. The first reaction is when someone's being harmed, like Jesus, you, you lash out like Peter did and cut off, mm -hmm. the, cut off the ear of the servant. That's not mm -hmm. the right response. Mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and Mary's response, as you're saying, that's, right. that's the way. Right. And, and the interesting thing is, even the way you phrased it is interesting. Uh, and it's not just linguistic semantics. Many times, God permits it, doesn't will it, mm -hmm. but permits it. Mm -hmm. He allows it to be because there is a greater good that comes from it. There's a purification that comes from it. Right. right? So, um, because otherwise you have this sense that our, Lord, that our Lord or our Father in heaven wills for me to suffer. I'm not sure that is the case, but he will permit it to happen, particularly if we have to earn the consequences of our own foolish or sinful decisions. Just like a good parent, sometimes with your children, they have to accept the responsibility and the consequences of their decisions and then learn from them. Scripture says that our Father allows this for admonition purposes, right? To admonish someone so they could grow. 
So suffering has that purifying. It also has that propedeutic sense, if I can use that word. It's, it, it's, it's the school where you learn lessons in life, mm-hmm. oftentimes by our own hands. And when it is not by our own hands, suffering, when it comes to be physical suffering or disease, that truly is a very hard place to be. Yeah. Because it's by no consequence of what you have done. Then to trust in God is at times can be very challenging. But the, what's the alternative? Right. What is the alternative? Yeah. To do it on your own? Good Lord, have mercy, no. Yeah. Yeah, that never works. So, Excellency, how, so then, um, through the, this month, and particularly on the 15th, how can mm-hmm. we observe the seven sorrows? Well, you know, it's interesting. The, the seven sorrows, um, the Servite Order, one of the original Catholic mendicant orders of the 13th century, when those seven um, cloth makers, merchants, traders in Italy got together and formed this ragtag group of men that eventually became a religious order, which actually had worldwide influence, they really sought holiness of life. They sought um, to learn their faith and they sought to seek holiness precisely through imitation of Our Lady. And the spirituality that comes out of the Servite Order, there are many. For example, there's a Novena, right? There's a Rosary of the Seven Sorrows. There's a Novena that many, many places around the world follow um, in anticipation. Um, I personally, personally, um, in anticipation of Our Lady of Sorrows, I go back to the sorrowful mysteries. And I understand that there's a rhythm to the mysteries, joyful, sorrowful, glorious, luminous. But I take liberties with that. So like, for example, in all of Lent, every single day in Lent, they're the sorrowful mysteries for me. Mm. Okay. And in the run-up to this, the triumph of the cross and the latest sorrows, I revert back. And, and, and I often ask myself, I get great consolation in praying the sorrowful mysteries, more than the joyful mysteries, more than the luminous mysteries, even more than the glorious mysteries, which must say something about both my spirituality and my psyche, which we're not going on radio. We're not going to talk about that. Okay? I find great consolation. It calms my spirit. It doesn't agitate my spirit. And, and I've struggled with this as to why that's the case. And I think part of it is because I take great encouragement knowing my God knows how to cry. Hmm. He knows what it feels to be betrayed and to be lonely and to be mocked and to be misunderstood and to be the butt of other people's jokes, which has all happened in my life. And I'm sure it's happened in your life too. Yes, yeah, of course. So, you know, growing up and being a young adult and now middle age, early old age, whatever you want to call it, I, um, when I was younger, I, I, tempted to, I tempted myself to believe I was doing this alone, but now I know I'm not. Mm-hmm. So I, would, I pray the Sorrowful Mysteries for the period, and not that I have a set time, but chances are by the time we get to the birth of Mary, right, between the birth of Mary and Our Lady of Sorrows, which is roughly a week, that is basically what I would focus in on. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and it gives and, me great peace, as I said. Yeah. 
And there's and you said there's a novena, so you could start that on September sixth. Yep. And, you, and you'll find it online, absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Yep. There's also the black scapula, right? Oh no. Of the seven so, sorrows of Mary. Yes, yeah, so explain yeah. that, Excellency. Yeah, it's one of the devotions that came up. And once again, it's it's associated with the Servite order. And the only thing you really need to do is it, it needs to be made of black cloth, no other decoration, very simple. And once again, it's it's connecting one to the the spirituality, um, the spiritual foundation of Our Lady who sorrows infidelity to her son. Yeah. All seven sorrows. Yeah. And once again, I think for a serious disciple who is going to both suffer for the faith and embrace suffering for others, to know that your mother is with you, that you can turn to her for perseverance and for help and for strength, the scapula is really meant to connect you to that, yeah. to Our Lady. Yeah. Very and few people wear it, that, to my knowledge. The black scapula. Almost everyone wears the brown scapula, right? right? Yes. Yep. Yeah. Right. So it's so interesting that the that the uh, the feast of our our Lady of Sorrows is tied to the triumph of the cross because, as you're mm -hmm. saying, it's her mm -hmm. it's her uh, showing us how to suffer well and unite with her son that leads to the triumph. So right. uh, so I think I know what the answer to this next question is, but. Um, but so we do the novena, we do, uh, you know, the rosary, the sorrowful mysteries, and we, we do a, uh, a special devotion to Our Lady of Sorrows this month. What are some of the graces that we can hope to receive from that? You know, it's funny you should say that. I think um, there, are, there are many. I stumbled across um, a series of prayers not long ago associated with Our Lady of Sorrows. And one of them, okay, what reminded me of the promises that were, were given to St. Bridget of Ireland in relation to Our Lady. Grace is associated with those who stand with Our Lady in her sorrows, in, in the moments of her sorrows, right? And I actually printed them out because I was, I was afraid I would not be able to, 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 um, to remember them all, but these are the seven graces. The first is, I will grant peace to your families, hmm. um, that you will be enlightened about the divine mysteries. And of course, Our Lady, a beautiful image of shedding light into the world that's not her own, so she will help to enlighten you by bringing you to the Lord. Console us in our own sufferings. Hmm. Um, intercede for us with her son, provided that what we ask is consonant with the will of God. Defend us in the spiritual bodies. Now, this is where we need our spiritual mother. Most powerful image, okay, is Our Lady stamping on the head of the serpent. Even at Calvary. Now, let's think about that. Let's put that out there and think about that. Even at Calvary, she did. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, be with us at the moment of our death to console mm. us, and um, to uh, lead us with her intercession to the glory of heaven, right? After, after her son, to her son's throne into heaven. So it's all about the journey of faith. So it's, it's 
you know, I, when I was in Brooklyn, long time ago, and I was auxiliary bishop, I had the great privilege of going to Sacred Heart St. Stephen Parish in the Carroll Garden section of Brooklyn. And that parish still has a very strong Italian and Italian-American presence. It is also the point of origin and the point of completion of the Good Friday procession. Hmm. Now, Brooklyn is famous for their processions, particularly Good Friday. When I was in Bensonhurst, it would be common to have 10,000 people at the Good Friday procession when we did the Stations of the Cross. Wow. Easily. We were 20 blocks long in wow. procession. But Sacred Art St. Stephen, uh, uh, Mola di Bari Italians from Bari, if I'm not mistaken. And they have a huge devotion to Our Lady of Sorrows. So why do I tell you the story? It's because probably one of the most emotional moments I've ever had in public in a religious setting was at the moment of the procession when the Lord and Our Lady meet. Our Lady mm. of Sorrows and Our Lord, right? On his way to Calvary, they meet. It just, um, I, I'm not exactly sure how to even to describe it, but I was just completely overwhelmed by the whole mm. thing. Because for a split second, um, prior to any movie called The Passion of the Christ, I emotionally could feel what that must have been like. Right? Utter surrender. Utter silence. But there's nothing to say. Yeah. A stark, stark choice. Nowhere else to hide. And even the crowd got very quiet. Mm. Um, see, the world needs that now. In many ways, not to sound facetious, but with all the challenges and all the sorrows we have, we're looking at all the wrong places. Is it's what this is calling us to do is a moment of profound encounter and quiet and silence and sit before that great meeting and say, well, what's my choice now? I could deaden it. I could run away from it. I could try to drink my way out of it. I can, whatever it is. But none of that's going to work. Yeah. Sometimes you just have to reduce yourself to silence and just sit there and wait for God to speak. And I think that's what, I'm telling you, that was one of the most beautiful moments of my priestly life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's not enough silence today, that's for sure. Um, and then before we go to the break, and I'm sure we can probably spend a, a whole show on this, but... Um, You've been doing this, Excellency, but it's always good to, to underline it, I think, um, mm -hmm. to explain how Catholic devotion to Mary, and this one in particular, it never takes our focus away from Jesus. No, of course not. No. Well, I'm glad you mentioned it because we say it a thousand times, we say it a thousand and one times. <laughs> in one of the very first shows we did together, you may remember uh, the image that animates my religious imagination when it comes to Our Lady comes from Archbishop Fulton Sheen and the whole idea of a moon, mm -hmm. right? Okay. Our Lady 
is for us the model of how we are to live as disciples of Jesus Christ. That is why we hold her in preeminent esteem. Also, we honor her because she is singular. Singular grace of conception without original sin, singular grace to conceive, to give birth virginally and to conceive virginally, singular grace to be assumed, preserved from all original sin and to be assumed body and soul into heaven, right? So, we honor for both reasons. Augustine says for the perfect discipleship, we honor her for more than that. It's the greater reason why we honor her. Mm -hmm. But everything about Our Lady points us to the Lord. Because otherwise, Marys of Nazareth would not, would not be known to us. I mean, right. one could say that the entire purpose of her life was to fulfill that vocation. Right. Now, does everybody do that correctly? Probably not. Probably not. Mm -hmm. That they lose perspective, they can, and, and treat Our Lady as if she were the Lord, the first person who would correct that would be Our Lady. Yes, that's right. Basically, what are you coming to me for? You have to go to him. Yeah. Do whatever he tells me. you. Cana. Right. 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 So, you know, there's a lot of discussion among Christians about the role of Mary. And some of it, particularly in the Reformation, was because of the excesses that people did fall into, which were not correct. Yes. But it doesn't evacuate the pre preeminent, unique role Mary has in salvation and in the school of discipleship that you and I are part of. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. Great. So uh, with that, let's take a break. When we come back, we'll talk about each of the seven sorrows. Yep. Catholic Radio works. And now we have it here in Connecticut and New York. It's been seen around the country that there's no better tool for evangelization. Where there's Catholic radio, the folks who listen deepen their faith. Families are strengthened, parishes and communities flourish. So, let people know you're listening to Veritas. Tell your friends to tune in, and let's make an impact here for Jesus and His Church. This is Steve Lee for Veritas Catholic Network. Welcome back to Let Me Be Frank. So, Excellency, you provide us a nice background on the seven sorrows of Mary, how we should approach the devotion and the graces that we can receive from it. Um, before, actually, I, I do have a, another question. Before we dive into each of the seven sorrows, is there a significance to the number seven? So you said there's seven graces that we get from it. There's seven sorrows. Seven sacraments. Yeah. Right. Um, it is one of the, well, I mean, to very honest, it's an excellent question. It resonates in sacred scripture, three, seven, uh, 12. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, you know, I remember now, of course, this was from ancient history when I was in high school. I do remember the, the response the Jesuits gave to this in, in religion class, and that is seven is indivisible. Huh. It can't be divided by any other number. Yeah. Nor can three. Right. Right? So there's something, a primordial insight that it is a basic reality unto itself. Hmm. Right now, in sac in in our in our faith, eight is more important than seven because of the beatitudes, and it is the day of recreation. 
There are seven days of creation. What makes us worship on Sunday, what invites us to worship on Sunday and not the Sabbath, because we do not observe a Sabbath that, that traditionally understood for, for our Jewish sisters and brothers. Right. We celebrate the day of resurrection. It is the eighth day. Huh. It is the day when all the seven days of creation are recreated in Jesus Christ. Hmm. And that's why the old baptismal fonts had eight sides, not seven. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. It's mm -hmm. great. And so, three steps down and three steps up. There's that number Father, again. Father, Son, and Spirit down. Father, Son, and Spirit up. Yeah. Right. Okay. So let's, let's dive into the, the seven sorrows. Okay. Test time. What are they? Uh, well, it's not fair because I have them written down here. <laughs> I'll start <laughs> so with the first I. one. The first one is the prophecy of, of Simeon. Right. Which occurred at the presentation. Right. Lord, now that your servant go in peace, your word has been fulfilled. My own eyes have seen the salvation which you have prepared in the sight of all people. A light to reveal you to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And then Simeon turned to Mary and said, a sword shall pierce your heart. Mm -hmm. It's an interesting observation to tell a new mother, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. But it, I'm sure it did not come as a surprise to Our Lady. Because no one in the line of the prophets before, all in preparation for this moment, prophesying the Messiah, no one glossed over the suffering that would come from that, mm -hmm. the misunderstanding, the persecution that would come with this. But I think Simeon in the first of the sorrows is setting the baseline that Our Lady's life is intimately, uniquely involved with her sons. Okay. So, you know, not to get too melodramatic, but there, it is not an unusual thing to say that when a son or a daughter come home, a parent, many times a mother who will be there first, conceivably, actually can feel the suffering empathetically that they are going through at any given time. Mm -hmm. Particularly if you consider um, how young people mistreat other young people. They feel yeah. the sorrow. Yeah. It's not, you're not an observer to it, right, Steve? Yeah. You're not. Yeah. Now here it's even more profound. So he is prophesying as much the suffering Jesus will go through, the sword that will literally pierce his side, mm -hmm. and the sword then that she will carry her whole life up to that point. Yeah. And she kept going. She kept going? Right? She kept going. Yeah. She pondered those things in her heart, but she kept going. I can't help but think of, just because I'm, a dad and a husband of Joseph because he's standing there too and I mean for me I know my first reaction would be like no 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 I'm gonna I'm gonna not let that happen <laughs> yeah yeah of course of course right uh, uh, clearly and perhaps he was thinking it but my guess is uh, for the extraordinary in interventions in Joseph's life yeah which came oftentimes at the hand of angels in dreams Joseph already knew he was wrapped up in a mystery far greater than he could ever have imagined. Right, yeah. Which then gives you courage and strength to go forward. Yes. See, Joseph had a huge role in the second 
of yes. the sorrows, which is the flight into Egypt. Yeah. So now this is this is the thing we need to consider. In a time when there's so much debate about immigrants and refugees, and how the number of refugees in the world is growing exponentially, displaced by hunger or war or political or religious oppression, or even now in the sub-Sahara Africa, just with this plague of locusts that is putting 300 plus million people in peril of, uh, of starvation, or at least malnutrition, severe malnutrition. Our Lord was a refugee. Our Lady and Joseph were refugees. And they went sheerly because the angel told them to. Yeah. So they give up everything. They give up friends, language, culture, religious practice, occupation, financial stability to the extent that they had it, mm -hmm. a home. Right. I could go on and on and on. Yeah. Right? And they voluntarily went into Egypt. I'm filled with many questions. What reception did they have? Where did they go? How did they make a living? How did they communicate? Mm -hmm. How did they worship? When chances are there may not have been any access yeah. to a Pharisee, a Sadducee, a temple priest, the temple. All of these are sufferings. Yeah. And, and a scripture is silent on that. But Joseph led the way. And Mary followed with her child. Yes. And you do, you do have to remember, the other piece of this puzzle is, unlike the contemporary world, it would have been common for the extended family to help raise your child. Hmm, right. Okay? So you're giving up the natural structure that would support you so that you would be able to help raise crops or gather crops or till the land or tend the cattle, whatever it may be, or even attend to Joseph in the in the uh, in in his trade, yeah, which you'd have to build from scratch somewhere right. else. Yeah, where do you get your customers from? All right, so I could go on and on and on, but this whole thing, the second sorrow, is wrapped up in the life of the Holy Family because the Lord asked of it, and they were obedient. And there is empathy, my friends, and all those people throughout the world who are in equal situations that many times we turn a blind eye to, no differently than the Egyptians would have turned a blind eye to the Holy Family who happened to arrive in Egypt. Yeah. When are we gonna learn this lesson? I'd like to know. Yeah. Is that frank enough? That's pretty frank. <laughs> let's, let's be frank about the third, the third sorrow. The loss of, well, the, the finding of the child Jesus in the temple. This yes. is, okay. Now, a, a whole bunch of stuff. First of all, to have a 12, 11, 12-year-old 12 speaking to the rabbis and the scribes in the temple must have been a once-in-a-lifetime sight. And he be knowledgeable enough and engaged enough that he would actually temper what they would normally have said, get out, kid, leave it to the experts. Right. Okay. But you know the story, the caravan, they couldn't find him two days. Now, let me ask you something. Honestly, Steve, as a father, if one of your children were missing two days, exp exp describe for me what you would be feeling. Yeah, I mean, frantic doesn't even, no. doesn't even come anxiety, close. Anxiety, fear, yeah. anxiety, right? 
So right there, what, pa- what parent does it resonate with this story as their worst nightmare? Yeah. And yet, Our Lady and, and, and St. Joseph suffered through it. And when they found him, what's the response the Lord gave him? What do you think what I'd you be? Looking for? Yeah. <laughs> where are you, you going to be? I'm going to here in my father's house. <laughs> right. Which doesn't give much consolation. So in number two and number three, there's such a human dimension to it that we're, we're familiar with in our own lives. Yeah. Right? Four, five, six, and seven are unique to the passion, right? Yes. So Mary, meeting of the Lord and Our Lady on the Via Dolorosa is number four. We've yes. spoken about this before. Yes. Um, the surrender. Uh, I guess, in my own mind, I imagine Our Lady trying to grasp onto Jesus to give some consolation, some assurance, just a touch of warmth at the hand of so much cruelty, and then literally like being yanked away yeah. and having to let go. That was the first moment of the letting go, that this is out of my control now. And I don't know about you, but my initial reaction would have been self-pity and anger, and I would have ran to a corner between screaming and crying and trying to find a bat, right? <laughs> all wrapped up in one. Right. Uh, and, and Our Lady kept going. Yeah. So the, it's the first moment of surrender and a self-emptying. So if this is where I'm supposed to go, I'm going to come. I'm coming. Right? Um, how many times have you and I in our lives had to surrender to a situation? And where do we get the strength? Yeah. And, and, and therefore, I think in this case, Our Lady teaches us. Yeah. And anything the that... The strength you... of her... So, I'm, sorry. I'm sorry. I was just going to say, no, anything, that, anything that we've gone through is not even close to what she did and so right that makes her even more of a model right right her strength was ahead of her yeah right so she followed yeah which then leads us to number five which is the crucifixion now we've spoken about this many times i could keep speaking about it because it is so cruel so barbaric it's so inhumane. There is no humane way of taking another person's life. But it, among the different ways, this by far has to top the list. For its sheer agony, its sheer duration that could last for days, the method by which it happens, which is you literally suffocate to death in your own fluids, you drown, your lungs drown in your own fluids. And... To, to stand there and watch a peg of steel, could conceivably be six inches long, being driven into the wrist or palm, whichever it happened, I mean, uh, theologian historians are not clear completely, uh, but either one, uh, to be driven into the flesh of your son, whom you know is innocent, and you know is loving and gentle, um, and then to watch him for three hours. Um, what, what sorrow is there in the world greater than that? What 
pain is there? What have you and I endured that comes anywhere close to that? I mean, let's be honest. Yeah. And we, and at least I'm speaking for myself. I, I've done my share of belly aching in life. <laughs> but that is number five. Yeah. And then we go on to the piercing of the side of Jesus with a spear. And this his descent from the cross. This is the moment of the Pietà. Michelangelo's probably the most famous sculpture in existence. Pietà. And, you know, I, well, the first time I saw it, I was a little kid. I was seven years old. I had no idea what I was looking at. By the time I went back to Rome to look at it, it was already behind the protective glass, separated from us. Right. What is your opinion of the visage, the face Our Lady has in the Pietà? Can you call it to mind? Um, I, I can't remember, but to me, you know, I would imagine when I picture the scene that she would be, you know, a mother with her, her dead son would be uh, in anguish and crying, but I don't think that's her face. Her face is, is no. more serene. I would say there is a resignation, a quiet resignation, a quiet surrender, which I think is a dying in its own right. So in a, our Lord is already dead, and Our Lady is in a moment of self-surrender that likens itself to a death, to this moment. So there is a, a mutuality even in the offering that is occurring. Christ's total offering as the sacrificial lamb, and his mother spiritually united to that by offering her son to the father. That's the sense I get when I look at the Pietà. Yeah. I don't sense anguish or, or uh, that suffering. Right. I, I sense something very different. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, and then Jesus is laid in the tomb. Right. By Joseph of Arathay, who comes to him in the night who comes to believe, but is not comfortable saying it in the day. Um, yeah. Remember, in, ancient, in the ancient world, it was the family that prepared the body. And in this case, because of the Sabbath, Jesus was buried fairly quickly. And it would have been the responsibility of the family to lay him out in the tomb. So it is not unreasonable to consider that since most of the family was not there, Our Lady arranged his body in the tomb. Yeah. Now let's think about that for a second. Honestly. Honestly. <laughs> and then just to, to, to do what? To, to I, I mean, I, it just really is beyond um, awesome in that sense. It's, it defies words and defies description. And she would have laid him and walked out, not to turn her back, but with a quiet reassurance, there was more to come. Yeah. And of course, Mary Magdalene refused to leave in the first place. <laughs> right? So, uh, so we're picturing, see, we're picturing, we're, we're, we're giving expression to a life that was itself, itself in Our Lady remarkable, but a life that, in her own right, knew what? Displacement and alienation and anxiety 
and fear was like, yeah. just like any other parent would have known. And she did have this sense of, clearly, a sense of solidarity to compassion with her son, suffering with her son, in some horrific and gruesome moments of unvarnished violence and hatred and, and, and brutality against her son. Yeah. And she remained faithful. So that's Our Lady of Sorrows. That's, yeah. This is the person we are honoring. It, it strikes me as, as you're talking about those final four uh, sorrows, just the, um, from, a, from a parent's point of view, just the complete powerlessness to, to help your child as they are suffering and mocked mm -hmm. and beaten mm -hmm. and being killed. And yet she, just the way you painted it, she gathers herself, she gains strength by, by looking at her son and, and what a model that is for us. And for her, yeah. her, her sorrow was greater because her love was greater. Oh, absolutely. She had no doubt who he was. So let me ask you this, for the sake of our listeners and for your sake and mine, if I was in the position now where, um, I'm gonna make it very simple, my great niece, whom I love very much, five years old, anybody harmed that, my great niece? Okay. I could clearly tell you that I'm not exactly sure how I would respond. I would not necessarily respond the way Our Lady because I still need conversion in my life. Yeah. But if anything would stay my hand, what would stay my hand only would be the grace of God who would in some way whisper to me and say, I will take care of it. Mm -hmm. Okay, step aside. Only an allegiance to a God who I can trust could allow me to do that. Otherwise, you would naturally take it in your own hands. Yeah. Yeah. So Our Lady had a profound relationship with the Father through her Son. So that is why she was able to do what she did. And the goal would be for us to become ever more in her, in her, to follow in her steps. I have a long way to go. I have no problems admitting that to everybody. I would have a, I'm 61 years old. I'm running out of time. I still have a lot of work to do in this regard. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 I think everybody can relate to what you're saying, Excellency, because yeah, you're right. And, and the, the links that, that Rula and I go to, you know, even today, even with our grown 18 year old son to try and protect him and, you know, make sure he's okay. And, you know, the whole time, I'm sure God is looking down on, on us in heaven and saying, don't you know that I actually love him more than you do? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I got him. Mm -hmm. I want him to be with me more than you want him to be with me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's hard. Mm -hmm. It's very hard. And what makes it harder is when there are those who purposefully, intentionally, and deceptively will try to harm him. Yeah. That's different from falling off a bike and getting hurt, or God forbid, being in a car accident, which is not intentional. But there are people, there's many people out there. And say for the Christian response to that 
has to model Our Lady, but it's only because Our Lady had that relationship in spirit with her son and his father that she could do what she did. And yeah. she, of course, she was sinless in her life by her own choice and by grace, the extraordinary graces. But I am neither sinless, nor do I have those extraordinary graces. So for us, the purpose of discipleship is that surrendering, is that developing the relationship with God so that the assurance that comes from that relationship can help us to live as Our Lady did in imitation of her son. Yeah. Period. Yeah. And unfortunately, in the world in which we live, there are ever more numerous occasions for us to seek vengeance and violence. Right? That's what we see all around us. That will wind up to zero. <laughs> yep. Yep. And one of the ways we can do that uh, is through the meditation that you just walked through, and we can continue mm -hmm. to meditate on the seven sorrows. We can unite ourselves with her. Yeah, just sit in front of Our Lady, the seven sorrows, or the crucified Lord. That's all you need to do. No more words, no more discussion. Just sit there. Yes. And let it speak to you. That's all. Amen. Let's, uh, let's take one more break, and we have a question from a listener when we come back. We need Catholic Radio because we need the voice of the church in the public forum. We live in a time that the secular voice dominates so thoroughly that we need to get that Catholic perspective out. Just as Fulton Sheen used radio and TV in the last century, we need to continue to use this means to announce the Catholic faith in the public forum. Hey all, and welcome back to Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano. Excellency, we have uh, this week an email from Donna in Monroe. She has a question about vaccines, specifically about the use of fetal tissue from aborted babies and the development of a vaccine for COVID. So she, Donna wrote a lot in her email, but basically she asked two questions. So I'll just summarize them. Uh, she wants to know if getting a vaccine that was developed in this way is wrong or if the goal of protecting vulnerable people around her justifies receiving such a vaccine. And then also she asked if uh, she and her family have committed sins by receiving flu vaccines in the past, which may or may not have been developed this way. So she doesn't know if they were or not. Well, the second question has an easier answer insofar as um, the United States Conference, and I also believe the Congregation of the Doctrine of the Faith has made it clear that the present regimens of vaccines for the flu, okay, um, that there is no moral objection to taking them, since if they're at their origin, there may have been some connection with fetal tissue, but so much, so many of the generations have passed that in effect they are essentially different now than mm. they would have been maybe 40 years ago. Okay. So everyone can have moral reassurance that there is no moral objection to the flu, to the flu vaccine. Now, as for COVID-19, it's interesting because I've begun to read some reports of this very question. And I'm not an expert on the issue because I do not know. The, the situation is fluid. What I do know is that there are at least 200 different vaccines in some level of production worldwide. And to the extent that any or all of them, but presumably some of them, have used fetal tissue directly in its production, in my estimation, is morally unacceptable. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, 
because you can't justify the end by illicit means. However, I have assurance right, that because we can generate vaccines to, for the flu that are acceptable, and there are ways to, for Ebola and other that use gene sequencing of existing vaccines, that there is, there are many ways to develop a vaccine for COVID-19 that would be morally acceptable. The difficulty is that in, they may require more time to develop. Mm. But my response to that would simply be, we do have protocols in place that when they are observed, are protecting our neighbor. So if we continue to do that, then if it takes a bit longer to do it in a morally responsible way, that is our obligation to do it. It is our obligation to do it that way. So I can't speak to the specifics of COVID-19 because I don't really know what the specifics are in all of these different vaccines going forward. My hope and prayer is that the ones that eventually get approved would not be among those that would have used fetal t tissue directly in its production because that would be immoral. Yeah. So, so we, we're not culpable for any vaccines that we may have received in the past because we don't know, or we didn't know, we didn't, but, um, mm -hmm. but going forward, we do bear some degree of responsibility for at least trying to look in to vaccines yeah, that we're going to receive. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, in the sense that, yeah, I think, and now is the time to vo voice our concerns if there is a particular strain of vaccine that's being produced that originated using fetal tissue, yeah. then we have to make sure that we raise our objections that this is the one that may come for for approval or production, yeah. right? Or distribution at this point. Right. But but the other vaccines, my understanding is that the uh, if there ever was a connection, it is so remote at this point that the, what is being produced now is essentially, essentially different yeah. from what would have been produced many years ago. Great. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so if you're listening and you have a question for Bishop Frank, send it on into us on the, uh, the Veritas app on social media, or you can email questions at veritascatholic.com. You can always find Bishop Frank Caggiano on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Veritas Catholic Network is there too. Excellency, before we go, may, uh, may I ask for your blessing? Certainly, especially in uh, the eve of your anniversary. Thank you. <laughs> Absolutely. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord our God, we ask that you send your blessing upon us that we may persevere in the sufferings that come in the life of faith in imitation of Our Lady, that we may suffer joyfully for the sake of our own salvation and those around us. In a special way, I ask your blessing upon Steve and Rula as they celebrate their 20th wedding anniversary Grant them many, many more years of happy life together, healthy life together, in the midst of their children to your honor and glory. For we make our prayer through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Happy anniversary, Amen. my friend. Thanks. I got to go find a present. <laughs> <laughs> See you. <ya. laughs> Bye. Ah. Bye.